The reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Diana. Let's just pray that uh, God helps us to listen to what he has to say this morning. Lord, we pray that um, I may be hidden and that you may be seen today and that uh, we'll understand what word you have for us. Amen. Well, this time next week, all those bricks will disappear. This is the end of our series on Firm Foundations. All these uh, cryptic titles, which um, uh, even after you've heard the sermon preached, you're still wondering where they came from, will disappear, uh, and we'll be into Advent. But today is the last in our series on Firm Foundations. And for those of you who are visitors, what we've been doing over the last two months is to um, identify the key elements of what it is to be a member of the uh, Christian family. And today it's the body to die for, okay? Got that? What's that all about? It's about the church, okay? So forget about the title. It's catchy, but uh, uh, probably uh, uh, if you get some medication, you won't catch it. So we're talking about the church. It's very appropriate that we do that on the day that we've welcomed Theo into the uh, Christian family because there's a key message here uh, that Theo, in starting out as a Christian, is not doing it on his own. He joins us with the other members of the Christian family and it's a journey that we journey together. So today what we're going to do is to look at uh, both the theory and the practice of the church. The theory is what the Bible tells us and the practice we're going to look at how we're doing uh, as one particular part of the church uh, here in Camberley and St Paul's. So first the theory. What does the Bible have to say about the church? Interestingly, uh, Jesus doesn't mention the church hardly at all. There's just two occasions in Matthew's Gospel where the word church appears. Uh, one where he says to Peter, uh, you are the rock uh, on which um, the church will be built. And somewhere else where it says, if you're having trouble with an individual, then take him to the church and get the matter sorted out there. That's it. 
The word is ecclesia. We have ecclesiastical uh, in our modern day language. And what it literally means is called out. So the church is the group of people who are called out. But it's only mentioned twice by Jesus. So you might say, well, therefore it's not really a very prominent part of, uh, um, of the Christian faith. But that misses the point uh, that throughout the New Testament, particularly in the letters of Paul, all sorts of other use, all sorts of other illustrations are used in order to illustrate what the church is all about. Just look at this on the screen. We are the people of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, the temple of God, the bride of Christ. We could go on. And don't worry, I'm not going to. Um, We're just going to look today at three of those illustrations to see what they tell us about what it means to be members of the Christian church. And the first of those is the people of God. Now, when I think of the people of God, to me, it signifies identity and belonging. From our Ephesians reading, uh, Paul said this, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. And in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse uh, 9 and 10, it says, You're a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is very, very relevant today as we think about refugees and asylum seekers and what it means to be part of a nation. Are the people who are coming from Syria going to become British citizens? And if so, what does that mean? Well, first off, it does mean a passport, and we do have new members of the uh, British community even in our own congregation. Just look at this picture coming up. There we are. We will accept almost anybody into (laughs) Great Britain. For those of you who are visitors, this is the curate's wife who has gained British nationality um, within the last few weeks. So it does mean that. Being a member of a nation means that, but it means more, doesn't it? It means culture. It means history. It means a sense of shared values. And that's what happens when we become members of God's family A sense of belonging is the opposite of a sense of alienation. And becoming a Christian gives us a sense of belonging that we did not have before, of sharing values and ideals with other people. And I think that for many people, becoming a Christian, the first way in which they do that is that they come and they recognize the warmth of a congregation uh, and they say, I want to be part of this. But they may also say that of the camera club as well. They may say that of any other group that there is meeting. So there is more to it than that. But it starts out by us being people who belong. We're no longer aliens and there's something deep-rooted in every human being who wants to belong to something or somebody. And that's what it means to be part of the nation of God, the people of God. Now, the second illustration is of the temple of God. Now, what does that say? That says to me that there's more to this Christian family than just being a nice group of people that you identify with. There is something that points beyond that group to something else. I'm not not particularly happy with the words of awe and signposting, but that's the best that I can do. It suggests that there's something beyond this group of people 
that it can't be seen, but that can be identified. And the Ephesians reading says this, uh, <clears throat> and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And from 1 Peter, you see on the screen there, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Bit of a mixed analogy there, we're both the building and the people in it. But don't worry about that. Now what does it mean to be a building? Well, there, there are two illustrations that come to my mind. The first is in Jerusalem, uh, the Wailing Wall, which is the remaining part of the old Jewish temple, which would have been around when Jesus was around. Now if you look at each of those stones and saw them individually, they would be of no significance. They would be just a lot of uh, stones, okay, perhaps carefully hewn out, but that's all they are. When they're together, there's something that's quite remarkable. There's another illustration that comes to mind, which is of the dry stone wall. If you saw any of those stones around on some of the moorland or whatever, they would probably not draw uh, uh, the, your attention to them. But when they're together, and look at them, all different shapes and sizes, very diverse, but together they're a thing of quite remarkable beauty and people are brought to them. And the point about this is that when people see the Christian church together, they're pointed beyond the individual to something uh, which they recognize as being quite significant. It's true of a, a cathedral, isn't it? You know, the cathedral is something which actually draws you not just to the building, but to beyond that, to what its building is meant to signify. And then the third illustration that <coughs> we'll just touch on today is the body of Christ. Now, what does the body of Christ illustrate? Well, to me, it illustrates diversity and it, uh, it uh, signifies action. In 1 Corinthians... Uh, chapter 12, uh, Paul talks about us being the body of Christ. And it's all about uh, one part of the body accepting another part of the body. The foot doesn't say to the hand, well, you're not a foot, you're not part of the body. Uh, it says uh, we, we are all complementary. The, <coughs> the other day I met somebody uh, who had had an industrial accident and uh, the whole of his chin had been blown away. And uh, uh, he had a rebuilt chin, reconstructed surgically, and he was telling me with some pride that that's part of his leg. And you think, well, why, why, why that? Why not you know, take some prosthesis or take some part from elsewhere? And the answer is, of course, that if the skin is from the same part of the body, it's not rejected. And that's a wonderful uh, <coughs> illustration there of us being the body of Christ uh, being able not to reject one another, but to accept one another and to work together. So the body of Christ shows diversity. We each have different parts to play, wonderfully illustrated by our uh, all-age time this morning from Abbey. Okay, so that's the theory. We haven't got time to go through things like uh, the family of God, which signifies relationship, or the bride of Christ, which signifies being loved and precious. Those are all other illustrations to show what it means to be part of the body of Christ. But let's turn the spotlight now 
onto us as a congregation and to ask, okay, to what extent, if we are the people of God, let's have this, uh, this slide, uh, uh, the, the next slide up, if we are the people of God, and that signifies identity and belonging, how are we doing against that standard? Let's give ourselves an Ofsted. What are the most important ingredients that make you the person that you are? If you were to draw a sort of pie chart of yourself, and you know, there's a segment for you uh, in relation to, to your family, whether you're a father or a mother or a child, uh, that's an important part of you. Your work... Uh, and how you relate to the work that you do, uh, your nationality, uh, the fact that you come from a particular country and that's the team that you will always support uh, when they're playing in some national championship, or your social or political allegiance. All those things make up the person that you are. Where does your faith come into that? Where is your identity and your belonging in terms of your faith? Do you identify as much with fellow Christians in other countries as you do with your fellow Britons? If you had to peel away the bits of you that you, there are and you had to abandon them like some sort of uh, 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 quiz game, what would be left at the core? Would it be the fact that you're a British citizen, you're really proud of that? Or would it be the fact that you are a doctor or you have a profession? Or would it be that you are a child of God, a member of God's family and part of the people of God? Uh, it, says in, um, it says in Hebrews, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as there's a habit of some, but encouraging one another. For us to identify and to belong, we need to commit, not only by being here physically, but also by encouraging one another in the nation of God of which we are members. Let's look at the next illustration, the temple of God. It's awe and signposting. It's turning people attention away from ourselves towards God. In Acts chapter 4, there's this lovely story of how Peter and John had been very bold in the early church. And this is what it says. Now when they, that's the Jewish leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and don't commend you, but they glorify God for what he has done through you. And I have to ask myself, when I'm doing a good work, if you like, or when the church is doing a good job, is my inner motivation that they should say, well, that's a pretty impressive person or an impressive place, or is it that God is glorified uh, through this? And sometimes God answers our prayers, and if we are praying that people will notice us, then that's what they do, and that's all they do. Uh, yesterday we had a, a great event here, which was a diocesan event. Lots of people came, and lots of people saying, what a wonderful church building. They said, fantastic, you know, where did you get this from? 
Well, that's okay, that's good. But if it's only that, uh, then we're no longer a temple, we're just a museum to our own uh, glory. To God be the glory, great things he has done, is what one of the songs says. And we have to ask ourselves, what's the motivation in the things that we do? Is it to point people to him or to ourselves? And then finally, there's the, the body of Christ, diversity and action. How are we doing on that? It was a striking feature of the early church that it was the one place where every strand of society could be found almost unparalleled in uh, the known society at that time that rich people and poor people, slaves and slave owners could all meet together. It says here in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's a lovely little book in the New Testament uh, called The Letter to Philemon. And here, the Jewish rabbi, Paul, writes about the slave Onesimus going back to his master from whom he's run away, Philemon. And he says things like this, which we take for granted now because, well, that's the sort of thing that's in the Bible. But here he says, I'm sending him back because he'd run away sending my own heart, receive him back, not as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. We can't hope to be more diverse than the uh, uh, place in which we live, so we shouldn't expect people who don't live in Camberley to feel necessarily at home if they become members here, because they'd have to travel here. But if we're not as diverse as Camberley itself, if we're monochrome, if we're all of a certain age or all of a certain colour or all of a certain uh, disposition, then what makes us different from any other Cambly group or club? We should be a place where everybody of all sorts and shapes feel at home. And if we lack that diversity, could it be that our identity as British or as white or as middle class is a more important part of our identity than being part of God's family. So that's the diversity. And in terms of action, as Christ looks down on the rest of his body here in Camberley, does he feel like he's constrained and handicapped, or does he feel like his, his arms and his legs are doing just what he would want to do? We shouldn't beat ourselves about the bush too much. Uh, we shouldn't beat ourselves around anywhere in not the bush, but uh, beat ourselves around too much uh, uh, by being too self-critical uh, because there is much that's going on that's really good. But there could always be more. And if people are to be drawn to him, then it's the more of his body that's going to actually make the difference. So when we think of the church, it's easy to think of the institution, the building, the history, the humans that we know. But it is much more than that. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's the hope of the world. And it's you and me. So we're just going to look at the body of Christ, the best that we can do. Picture on the screen now. That's you and me. And we are the body of Christ.
Thank you, Simon. Let's just reflect on that and, and think on those words. Who are you? Who are we? Deep down, imagine as Simon described there, peeling away the layers of the different roles that we play. Who are we when it comes down to the core? Do we identify as children of God at our very heart and our very soul? As we think through that, I'm going to ask Becca to come up and continue to lead us in our intercessions. Today our prayer will follow four themes. The people of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, and the bride of Christ. At the end of each theme, I will say, as the people of God, we are your church, and your response will be, we are your church. Let's just have a try. Oh, as people of God, we are your church. We are your church.